0: What up, what up, what up, everyone? Welcome to episode 141. That's right, episode 141 of Combo's Court. And I am Combo. Go drop a comment right on the Apple Podcast app. Leave a five-star rating as well. Rate and review wherever you listen to Combo's Court because it helps the show, man. It helps the show. If you help the show, the show will help you. Combo's Court, we're out here, man. Today's show... Michael Wallace, formerly of ESPN, now an analyst for Grind city Media at Grizzlies.com, covering the Memphis Grizzlies had a great conversation with Mike. We discussed the city of Memphis, Jaron Jackson Jr.'s unique skill set as a shooter, Brandi Clark's floater, and what John Moran feels like he needs to do to take his game even further into superstardom. Follow Mike on Twitter at MyMikeCheck. That's M Y M I K E. C H E C K. You know you can follow me on Instagram at one two combo. That's O N E T W O C O M B O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Mike Wallace, Grind City Media. Welcome to Combo Score, man. How you feeling?
1: I'm feeling good. Feeling good, man. Thanks a lot for having me. I'm excited about it. And uh, thanks
0: for reaching out. I'm looking forward to it. Anytime. Tell me more about Grind City Media.
1: I mean, Grind City Media basically is, is well, there's no basic to it, man. And we try to be as comprehensive in our digital media coverage of the Memphis Grizzlies and the NBA. Um, it's, it's part of what a process is. A lot of teams are trying to convert to uh, telling their stories their way. I mean, this is something that you know, as we see the, the, the national media and the local media landscape change, as newspapers sort of close down or staffs get reduced, um, you know, there's a lot of talent out there on the field. And what teams are doing is bringing some of these people in and uh, changing the dynamic of how they cover their team. So what Grind City Media is, is basically grizzlies.com, but with a little bit of a twist because we go beyond just covering NBA and the Grizzlies. We also cover college football, things of local interest, pop culture, and all of those kind of things. So... It's a, uh, it's a one-stop shop for anything you want to know about the Grizzlies, the NBA, and what's really cool going on in Memphis.
0: Do you feel it's a way that teams could create their own narrative?
1: It, it is. I mean, there's certainly that part of it, too. Yeah. It just depends on, you know, what teams' motivations are in terms of how true and how uh, authentic they want their voice uh, to be when it comes to covering their team. You know, the way that I look at it is the Grizzlies reached out to me when I was with ESPN and they wanted me to basically you know come in and be the same kind of reporter the same kind of storyteller um and so they trusted my authenticity in addition to my objectivity uh when it came into building helping build grind city media so you know i always go back to this 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 story that you know uh uh, i tell all the time i mean if if a fight between two players on the same team happened uh on a team flight you know, am I going to be able to report that story as a member of Grand City Media? No, I won't. I won't be able to report that story. But you know what? You know, if I was with the Miami Herald or the Commercial Appeal, I wouldn't report it either because I wouldn't have access to the team flight in, in order to see the fight. So it's one of those right. where, you know, you just you, you tell stories and you, you cover
0: the team in a way that's engaging to
1: your fans, to your corporate stakeholders, and uh, it's all about basketball and
0: so how is it like, because I've never really been to the Memphis area like that. I mean, I've lived around the world. I've played around the world. I've, I felt like I haven't enjoyed the American cities too much. So I know it's deeply rooted in music. How is it like yeah. living in Memphis?
1: It's, it's cool living in Memphis, man. I mean, it's it's, it's culturally diverse. That's first and foremost. Um, you know, it's a, it's a rugged city. It's a hard-nosed city. Everything that, you know, the, the whole grit and grind culture that that Zach Randolph and Tony Allen, Mike Conley and Mark Gasol and Lionel Hollins and those guys established it's true to the core here. And, and so you have music, you have culture, uh, you have a, a really, really uh, history, uh, a deep history of racial roots, um, communities getting along, communities overcoming challenges. There's a lot of history here, there's a lot of food here, and there's a lot of music here. And, and when, you're in, when you're in Memphis, you're sort of at the corner of like, literally Arkansas, Mississippi, Tennessee, uh, Missouri, Illinois. You're, like, you're right within that you know, belt, that corridor, of five different states so it's it's a lot of people flooding in here with a lot of different cultural uh, interests and a lot of different uh, uh diverse backgrounds so it's, it's it's a town where you know you make it uh you break it you make it and, and it is what you make of it
0: i like it i like it uh staying on memphis but shifting to basketball how has the city embraced john jaron
1: man it's it's what's more remarkable than what's even you know is how John and have embraced this city. You know, the city was going to love these guys uh, from day one, no matter what. And, you know, they saw a lot of themselves in John Moran. You know, when you look at a kid that was overlooked coming through the high school ranks, he wasn't really highly recruited. Um, But you know what? You give him an opportunity at a mid-major, he makes the most of it, makes history, and then comes in. He he doesn't have any pretensions about him. He said, listen, I'm going to go wherever I can play basketball. And it was one of those situations where he felt like Memphis fit what he is, and he's a guy from a small town in South Carolina, uh, made it the hard way through Murray State, and, and and is a self-made guy. And that's a lot of uh, what Memphis is all about. Jaron Jackson is another guy uh, from a pedigree. You know, Jaron Jackson, senior, played in the league for a long time, won a championship with the Spurs. But Jaron came in knowing what they expect of being an NBA player. And I think both of those guys came in at the right time as the franchise, as the city. And, and and as the fan base was ready to transition into a new era. And both of those guys are the foundation
0: of that era. Right. Jared Jackson is everything you want in a big man for the modern NBA. He can tack closeouts. He protects the rim. But what's so new unique about Jared is the way he gets his shot off. He could shoot in transition, off the ball. He can yep. relocate like like a big Steph Curry, even though that sounds wild, but Man, he's just different as a shooter for a big man. Yeah, yeah he is.
1: And, and, and you're right. I mean, he can get it off the dribble. He can get it off of pin down screens. He can certainly uh, step into his own shot. Uh, there's no limit to his range right now. And it's been really dynamic to see that because we were teased by that at Michigan State. It only showed us a, – a, he only scratched the surface of what his ability is. Yeah. And really, he's probably going to be, over the next couple of years, developing to the most dynamic eleven forward that we've seen. Right. It, It it doesn't go unnoticed that, you know, Kevin Garnett came in here early on in Jaron Jackson's career with the Grizzlies, sat down with him over a couple of days and said, listen, this is how I want to teach you how to prepare for the NBA. So the mindset to go with his raw talent and his ability to learn from great guys like Kevin Garnett and those guys, um, that that takes Jaron to another level and to see how he plays, how he understands the game, how he's defensively always in the right position for the most part um, that, that's something that you've seen some growth in this game this season.
0: How's it going with the recovery process? Do you feel like it'll dampen playoff hopes? or?
1: I mean, the, both of those guys, we, you know, the Grizzlies announced uh, yesterday that Brandon Clark and, you know, Jeremy yeah. Jackson now are both out for at least the next two weeks and will be reevaluated in two weeks. It comes at a tough time. The Grizzlies are in the midst of the toughest strength of schedule closing stretch in the NBA right now. And, uh, you know, you got a three-game lead uh, hope for the eighth spot but you also have teams that are experienced right behind you in Portland and San Antonio. And then you have a couple of young teams that are trying to figure out how good they can be in New Orleans and Sacramento right there as well. So it's one of those situations where, man, it's, it's not, not ideal at all for the Grizzlies to be this hurt at this time of the season. But this is also a challenge that they're going to learn from. So no matter what happens between now and the rest of the season, uh, the Grizzlies feel like they've taken a positive step forward because they're going to be playing playoff intensity basketball, even before the playoffs even get here. So that's just
0: a continuation of that process. You mentioned Brandon. I think he has the best floater in the NBA, man.
1: Well, when he's shooting uh, uh, 65% from the field, I mean, he's a top five field goal percentage shooter. He knows where he wants to get. It's that, uh, you know, right around that free throw line area. I mean, he, he, he finds a way to get his open looks right there. He knows how to deliver that thing with a little bit of touch. And sometimes, man, I mean, I've seen him shoot seven for eight, eight for nine you know, five or seven type games and, and you think it's a fluke, but no, that's just him knowing where he wants to get, getting to his spots on the floor and then always being right there in position for offensive rebounds and putbacks too.
0: Yeah. And I think in the modern NBA, we have value efficiency more than ever before. So it's great to yeah. see.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we do. And, and it's key, especially when, you know, when, you, when you're talking about pace and possessions and the Grizzlies and the NBA being about teams that are uh, being about, playing styles that are going to increase the possessions up there beyond 103, 105 possessions a game. Uh, it's, it's amazing that the efficiency numbers are rising just as the possessions are rising. That tells you that shooting threes, getting rim touches, uh, paint, uh, touches in the paint. I mean, that's what this, this system is all about.
0: Let's shift to Ja, man. Uh, such a complete player. Even solid three-point numbers, which that was a concern for some, I guess. What do you feel Ja could work on to take his game even further into superstardom?
1: I think one of the things that Ja will tell you is that he can be a better on-ball defender. He can be a little bit tougher, more physical when it comes to getting caught up in the pick and roll games defensively.
0: Okay. Um, You know,
1: I I think that's where the biggest growth as Taylor Jenkins would tell you, uh, those are growth opportunities. As he would say, he doesn't refer to them as weaknesses. They're just growth opportunities. Right.
0: Especially uh, in Ja's case, especially in Ja's case. Yes. Yes. I
1: think offensively, stepping into his three-point shot with more confidence. He was shooting about 40% earlier in the season. Uh, that that percentage has dipped a little bit over the last couple of games, um, but he does have confidence in every aspect of his game. It's just a matter of, look, when he can't get all the way to the rim, we saw him make an adjustment early in the season and develop a floater game. The Grizzlies are one of the best teams and most efficient teams in the league at shooting floaters. Now Ja has to make the adjustment now too of being able to step into that three-point extended shot with some confidence, and once he does that, uh, become a better defender, then there's going to be no stopping this guy. And he's already difficult to stop right now.
0: I know you might be biased with this question, but if you had one player to start a franchise around, who would it be, Ja or Trey Young? Ooh. Ooh. that is keep, tough. I, keep I it grind what, city, man. No,
1: no, 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 no. You know what? You know what? And see, here, here's the thing too, man. I mean, I, I'm grind city, but at the end of the day, man, you know, I've only been in grind city for four years. You know, right,
0: right, right, right. 40 years of
1: my life. For at least 20 years of my life professionally, I was, I was objective and I knew how to look at these things.
0: Right. Uh, it's a tough
1: call because I think upside, John gives you more of a complete
0: point yes. guard,
1: how you want to play. And I think he gives you more of that. Trey, if you're going to rely on him, you know what, to answer that question, I always say, who's my second pick? Like, do you know who, who can I, my second pick is going to determine who my first pick would be, who I right. can be my second pick. And that's because if I needed scoring, then yes, I would go with Trey Young first and foremost. But if I needed a setup guy, a complete point guard who's going to set the table and be able to do everything, I would go Ja Morant first. So that's about as objective as I could make it. I, but at the end of the day, I probably would lean towards Ja Trey.
0: Yeah, both amazing. And just speaking more to Ja's game, for how athletic he is, the pace he plays at for his age is just incredible. Yeah,
1: it is. It is. It is. And, and his ability to get up and down, his ability to get to the rim, his vision is what sets him apart. Like, we know Trey Trey Young's – uh, uh, shooting ability is is out of this world. John Morant's vision is every bit as out of this world in terms of how he can deliver a pass, how he sees a play develop before, uh, you know, 80% of the players on the court sees that. So that's one of those talents. And then when you add his athleticism to it, add that too. What I would want to know from both of these guys is how durable they can be and how durable they can maintain themselves. That's going to be the key in terms of uh, who has the the longest and most impactful career, but you can't go wrong with either one of those guys. I like the guy that's in
0: Memphis. Right, backtracking a little bit, what did you make of the Andre Iguodala situation in Memphis? I saw it from both sides, but I thought it would have been fun for Andre to get to play with Jaron and Ja and Brandon, but what did you make of it?
1: What I made of it was, you know, hey, it was a business move on both sides. It was one of those situations where, you know, the trade didn't happen to bring Andre in to be a vital piece of this franchise from what I understand. And Andre didn't necessarily see this as a fit for him for where he was in his career. Andre Iguodala was contemplating retirement, um, you know, even midway through last season. So it's one of those situations where if he wanted to look at his career and and playing it out with a team that was going to be a little bit more advanced, um, I I understand that. So it wasn't any illusions that were uh, on either side when this trade was made. I also say this too, when I'm asked about this, look at how the Grizzlies dealt with, Kyle Corbett, when they acquired him, they allowed him to move right on, and he ended up in a situation where he's in Milwaukee. Uh, look at what happened with Dwight Howard. People forget. Dwight Howard was part of the Memphis Grizzlies. They traded for him too. They allowed him to be released, and he moved on to the Lakers, and look at the comeback season that he's had. So it was just a matter of time before Iguodala and the Grizzlies were going to part ways in a way that was going to be beneficial to both sides. So all the other stuff that happened in between that, I think it was mostly posturing and mostly media dynamics, too. But at the end of the day, I think both sides got what they wanted out of this situation.
0: For sure. Agreed. (sighs) We just backtracked a little. So let's look forward. Uh, Well, obviously, this season isn't even over yet. We don't know if they'll make the postseason. But what will Memphis be looking for in the offseason in terms of free agency, in terms of the draft and everything else?
1: Well, I mean, talking to uh, uh, executive vice president of basketball operations, Zach Kleiman, I mean, he, he met with the media right after the trade deadline. He's, he laid it out. He said, listen, we looked at uh, when we acquired, you know, he's saying we as the Grizzlies, when they acquired, you know, a guy like a Justice Winslow, they, they knew that that was going to take them out of big time free agency. Now, yes, they still have their mid-level exception. Uh, they yeah. still have a couple mm-hmm. other pieces that they can move around and, and create some money, but they like the core that they have here of Ja, Jaron, Brandon Clark, Justice Winslow, Jonas Valanciunas, and and, uh, Tyus Jones. Those guys, that that six-man core, seven-man core, I think is gonna be what this team builds around and tries to supplement from. And we'll see beyond that where other pieces fit in. Josh Jackson is a piece that's playing pretty well right now individually. How much of a fit is he gonna be moving forward as a former number overall pick? We'll see. um, uh, Kyle Anderson is a guy that's finding his way, even though he's starting right now. He has a couple more years on his contract, too. So looking in the free agency, they're going to look probably for shooters. Uh, they locked up Dylan Brooks for an extension as well. So they're probably yes. shooters and another big coming off the bench to sort of bolster
0: uh, with the front line. Yeah, and the, and this draft coming up, it's a great complimentary draft. A lot of players that can help a lot of teams.
1: Well, this is a team, but, I mean, they're in a situation now where their first-round pick is going to be likely conveyed to Boston. So, okay, yeah, it's one of those deals where the Grizzlies probably won't get – or fall into the top four, top six, uh, which means that pick gets conveyed, which was which will complete and culminate that trade that they made a couple years back, several years back for Jeff Green. Uh, I think it was 2015. So they owe Boston their first round pick this year, and it looks like it's going to convey. So whatever they do is going to be on the margins in terms of free agency, um, and then they're going to you know reload and relook up with this uh, rehook up with this quarter they have right now.
0: So let's shift to college basketball. You're in Memphis, Mike. What did you learn about James Wiseman as a player? And a person anything new from this college season even though it was a short stint for him
1: yeah i mean i didn't see much of of, of, of uh, uh of his season because obviously there wasn't much to see right but Wiseman obviously was was a big headline a big name around memphis and it's unfortunate that it didn't work out uh, the way that penny the way that memphis or Wiseman anticipated it would you know it's, it's tough uh, because again there was so much hype coming in with this team there were final four elite eight expectations Wiseman, um, I still think will be a top three pick in the, in the draft. When you're seven foot one with that kind of dynamic athleticism and the ability to shoot a little bit on the floor, uh, all of his measurables say that he's going to be a successful NBA player. So he's going to get to the ultimate place. It's just a matter of when you talk about where he is uh, uh, in terms of you know what Memphis could have done with him. That's the situation right there where you know I think some fans, and I'm only speaking from the fans' perspective from that standpoint, that they probably felt a lot of disappointment. But at the end of the day, uh the Tigers were in a good spot. Um, you know, financially the program is pretty strong right now and uh they they're they're led in the right way and uh hopefully they can keep building.
0: Yeah, this is an interesting draft. There's no surefire number one pick yet. Who do you like as the best player in this year's NBA draft?
1: Man, I wish I wish I could sh- share more on the draft. I, I I really I hadn't really seen enough, man. I wouldn't want to give you an uneducated guess. Right. And, and and just being from the standpoint of, of of uh indirectly and directly working with the nba franchise we're limited in terms of how much we can get into that in terms of uh, uh so that's a little bit of a tough spot too but um you know i tell you what man after the season if we want to go back and look at it and then do it from that standpoint when they
0: declare and different guys officially declare i'd be definitely glad to talk to you about it at that point. sounds good Chris. sounds good keep it grind city man but um when Zion came into the league, I saw a little bit of Barkley, but now I realize there's no NBA player comparison for him. Uh, what did you make of that first matchup between uh, Zion and, and LeBron?
1: You know what? I, both, uh, it's funny because both of them are physical freaks of nature. I remember right. when LeBron came into the league. You're right. There's really, we, we've spent so much time uh, trying to find comps for guys. And, yeah. and, and, and a lot of times it's easy. You know what I mean? A lot of times these players make it easy. But every once in a while, you get a guy that you just cannot find a physical comp for. It just doesn't, you know, I remember, you know, there was no physical comp for Yao Ming. There was no physical comp for Kevin Garnett, a, a, a big guy, long guy that can do as much as he can do uh, off the dribble and play like a guard. There was no physical comp for Allen Iverson with his explosive ability to get above the rim when he came in. So I think Zion fits right into that. And, and I think, you know, LeBron, obviously, but, you know, it's, it's one of those situations where... I saw a little bit of a passing of the torch. One of the things that impressed me was people asked Zion before that game, I think it was the, at shoot-around the morning of the game, they asked him to talk about, you know, what it was like growing up, you know, seeing LeBron and now being on the verge of facing him for the first time. And Zion said, you know what, man, ask me this after the game. You know what I mean? I want to focus on what I need to do to win this game. Ask me about LeBron after the game. And I thought that that shows us a level of maturity that you don't see in a lot of players coming into this league. Because a lot of these guys, you know, grew up idolizing their heroes, and they want to say all these great things. But Zion, first and foremost, wanted to be a competitor first. And then he could say, you know what, let's talk about it after the competitive part of it is over. And I respected it,
0: that. For sure, and it's a level of honesty as well. He just kept it real. He kept it real. And, yeah. and But a
1: lot of times, you know, guys, you know, a lot of these guys fall for it a little bit more. Um, you know, and they talk about these guys and, and going into the matchup and you wonder how much of the competitive nature is there. You know what I mean? Everyone's on the AAU circuit. Everyone plays with each other. And how much of a competitive fire is there? As an old school NBA fan, um, you know, sometimes people question that. But I think I think Zion had the great approach, man. It was it was wonderful to see.
0: Ja has a similar approach as well, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> He'll tell you in a heartbeat, look, man,
1: all of these great guys put on their shoes one at a time, just like I do. All of these guys, you know, have two on two, I me. Mean, he, he, he basically mentally mitigates any advantage that someone may have over him with his, his sheer will and his determination. And I think that chip on his shoulder is what allows him to get to peak Jaw. And, uh, you know, I was doing a podcast earlier, doing another show earlier, and they were like, is, is this going to serve him well? Is he showing a disrespect for the game? And I say, no, it's not a disrespect. I don't think Jaw takes any of this stuff and looks at it personally. I think this is Jaw trying to get to the best Jaw he can be." So, his, right. he, he might say something about another player or, or it sounds dismissive. I think this is just him working his way into a lather so he can go out and rise his game and his mentality to the level he needs to get to be successful.
0: Yeah, he's not from New York City, but I'm from New York City, and it sounds like a New York City mentality to me, man.
1: <laughs> he got it, man. He's got it. He, he'll, he'll tell you, this is South Carolina mentality, man. It's a job, Oh, okay.
0: Man. Okay. Shouts, shouts to South Carolina. Mike Wallace, great stuff, a true professional. Thank you for coming on the show. And where can we find you?
1: Hey, at grindcitymedia.com, grizzlies.com, and uh, on Twitter and, and, and uh, Instagram at mymikecheck. M-I-K-E-C-H-E-C-K. Thanks a lot for having me. Man. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks, Mike. Talk soon. Right. Thank you for listening to Combos Court and big shouts to Mike for joining in. We appreciate you. Combo Nation. Drop a comment right on your Apple Podcast app and smash down on that subscribe button if you haven't already. Can't wait to hear from you. Also, man, if you listen to this episode in its entirety, share it with a friend via social media or word of mouth. Tag me in it. I'll repost it, retweet it, all that good stuff. Speaking of Twitter, you can follow me on Twitter at Combo's Court. Man, be on the lookout for episode 142. Combo out.